I'm going to read Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 1, uh, starting uh, in verse 1 and through to verse 4. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. The bride confesses her love. She, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. Others, we will exult and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, these are your words. We believe that they are living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we ask that you would reveal to us your deep love for us through these words, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, Elizabeth's parents and my parents live about 15 miles away. Uh, my family live in Birkenhead on the Wirral. Elizabeth's family live in Magull, in the north of uh, Liverpool. And 15 miles isn't much at the moment. You can jump in a car and drive there quite easily. But when we were dating... Uh, when we were 50, 50 miles felt like a million miles away. We didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have cars, obviously, at, at that point. Cars existed, but we didn't, uh, we didn't have a car of our own. Uh, so we were saving up our money and jumping on a train to try and get up there. We were obviously at school at, at that time as well. So Saturdays were, were a big deal for us. And you know, we would anticipate uh, Saturday coming when... We both worked at Saturday jobs at the time, so at the, at the end of the day on Saturday, we'd get cleaned up, we'd jump on the train, we'd go and meet each other and have dinner somewhere together, and we, we longed to be together during that time. We spent the whole week pining for each other. And we'd save up our money as we were working and, and try and plan days out on bank holidays and just the odd day that we'd have together, and we'd spend those times together, and I think we realised how much we liked each other when it came to, to our first summer holiday. Elizabeth went away to Turkey for two weeks with her family and I was left at home in Birkenhead uh, with my family. And during that time, we, we realised that we missed each other. We really wanted to, to be with each other. We longed for each other. And at that time, uh, unlike now, mobile phones weren't standard issue. Like as children, we didn't have mobile phones. And the only way that we could communicate was writing to each other. So we'd write each other letters, and when Elizabeth got back from Turkey, there were a load of letters that I'd, I'd written by hand, put in an envelope or a stamp on, sent them to Elizabeth, and she'd send me postcards. And during the summer holidays, we were working through the summer, so you know, we carried on communicating through uh, a letter, and, and we, we longed through that summer just to be together. Uh, we really realised how much we loved each other when we missed each other, when uh, we hit 18, and Elizabeth took the decision to go to India for her gap year. Now, you can't jump on a train and go to India. You can't even write to someone who's in India, certainly not, not uh, at that time, and guarantee that a letter was going to be there. So we'd email each other. My goodness, for email. We could email each other and keep in contact. And during that time, we longed to be together. We came up with nicknames for each other during that time. Elizabeth was my girl, and I was her beluga bear. And don't ask me where that came from or what it even means, but... There you go, you can ask Elizabeth. But during that time, we missed each other a lot. And so we wrote to each other a lot because we longed to be together. And I'm not embarrassed in sharing that with you. Maybe Elizabeth's a little bit more embarrassed than me. I'm not embarrassed about sharing that with you because 
our longing for each other, it's not unique. At our heart level, all of us, all of us in this room, we long for something or we long for someone to fulfill our desires. We long for a sense of intimacy. We long for a sense of closeness, companionship. Just think about what makes a good song or a good film, okay? It's that the human desire of longing for intimacy. Like you see that in the lyrics of songs, you see it in the good films, that that human desire just to be with someone else, to have intimacy with someone else. And this song that we have in front of us here, that is what we find at the center of this song. (coughs) The human desire of longing for intimacy. And by the way, as we read it here, we see the Song of Solomon. For, for this whole series, I'm going to refer it to the Song of Songs. You'll see why in a moment. But at the heart of the Song of Songs, we find this desire, this human desire for intimacy. And, and like there's no beating around the bush. There's no gentle introduction for that, right? We're straight in there. The woman, she confesses, like, let me kiss, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. She doesn't hold back and, and there's just this overflow of passion and, and intimacy and longing to be together and it's almost embarrassing to hear it, isn't it? We're not used maybe to hearing those sorts of things being read out in church. Well, here's the thing, we all connect with it because we're all human and we all have desires. We all have physical desires. We all have hormones. Like even you younger folk over there, like you might be thinking and we're going to be reading all of this over the next nine weeks or so you might be thinking this is a bit cringy and a bit awkward and a bit embarrassing but you know what this is about as well like you guys have hormones and desires which are firing away as much as the rest of us and folks this is the bible this is scripture this is god's word he is speaking to us through these words and we might think that maybe it's a little bit strange that god would would have something to say about physical desires or emotional desires, or at least we might think it's a bit strange that he would talk and allow us to hear, hear what he thinks in these kinds of ways. Like maybe we're, we're more often in church to hearing people tell us to pour cold water on our desires and to put passion away. And often when we hear that, we can feel guilty when we start to feel those things. And we have those desires for intimacy Well, this afternoon, folks, I want to just introduce us to this song. And the next few months as we work through, we're going to see that that actually as we study this song, we're going to see that desire is, is at the core of what it means to be human. And it isn't something that we need to be embarrassed about. It isn't something that we always need to think we need to suppress that thing. Desire is actually an invitation into intimacy. That's what it is. It's an invitation into intimacy and, and an invitation specifically into intimacy that is pure, that is lasting, and that is fulfilling. That's what we're going to see in this song. An open door for all of us to walk in and find an intimacy that is lasting, pure, and fulfilling. And by the way, the song, that, that is what it is. It's a song. And so we should read it as a song. Or it's a collection of songs, as we're going to see. And when you, when you read a song or you listen to a song, 
Um, you, don't, you don't approach it like, like you might approach a manual for something or a cookbook. Like you read a cookbook as a set of instructions. Do this, do this, do this. That isn't how you engage with a song. Like the best of songs are written and are sung and are, and are played in a way that they invite us in. They invite us to experience what the composer or what the songwriter has written. They invite us into something. That, that is what the best songs do. My, my favourite piece of music in the world is a, is a piece of music called Time by Hans Zimmer. Anyone know it? If you, if you know the film Inception, Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Hardy, it's the kind of theme through that song. And, and this, uh, this piece of music starts literally with just one note on the piano. And then he plays that four times, then moves on to another note for four times. And, and then eventually the strings come in. And then uh, the brass come in and then the drums start playing and then the guy starts playing the electric guitar and it's like this, this big crescendo, like a cacophony of noise. And all of a sudden it all drops out and it just goes back to the guy playing on the piano. And, and it's just a wonderful piece of music to listen to. And we had the privilege a few years ago of hearing it played live by an orchestra. And it was dark enough to do this. I didn't feel embarrassed. As they started playing, I just closed my eyes. I just listened as, as the music began to build. I felt like I was being drawn in to the music. I was able to experience it and just, just enjoy what Hans Zimmer wanted me to enjoy as he wrote that piece of music. And the best songs do that. They invite us in. And that's what this song does. With the song of songs, we are invited to draw in. We are invited to connect with a longing for intimacy that we're going to be confronted with in this song. And as we work through, you'll see there's a little bit of narrative in there. There is a bit of a story that we can kind of just grab onto. Like the, the song revolves around a man and a woman, a shepherd and a shepherdess. And we see them prepare for marriage in the first few chapters. They're, they're getting ready to, to come together in marriage. And then we see their marriage at the middle of the song and then once they're married we see them engage with the with the highs and the lows the difficulties and the joys of marriage and then we see them grow old together and it is titled the song of solomon but it's actually not clear whether solomon writes this song or whether someone writes it for solomon or or whether it's written about solomon but it's probably not this probably isn't a song about solomon like if you know anything about Solomon, you'll know that he is not the person to go to if you want to, to get advice about what a good marriage is. Like Solomon had 600 wives. He was a terrible husband. Don't go to Solomon to, to try and work out what a beautiful marriage looks like. I think more likely what is happening is that Solomon or someone is writing for Solomon as he's looking back on his life. And almost, it's almost written as an apology for his failed marriages. And what he's doing is he's lifting up this this perfect picture of what marriage should be. He lifts up a picture of, 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 really, of really the ideal marriage. I think that's probably more likely what's happening. And what we see in the song is that marriage is a, is a commitment. A commitment between one man and one woman that is sustained with desire, that is sexual and loving, and enduring. That's what we see. And folks, when we engage with any part of the Bible, we should, we should engage with that specific part in light of the whole of Scripture, right? We allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. 
So we know from the whole of Scripture that that is God's design for marriage. God's design for a fruitful marriage is for one man and one woman to come together and for them to endure through that marriage in in a loving union. That's what we see in this song, but folks, it is also so much more than that. Song of Songs is much more than just a song about human marriage. Notice what it is called, the Song of Songs. The Song of Songs, it is the best song. In Hebrew literature, in Hebrew writing, like if you really wanted to reinforce that something was great, you'd phrase it like that. There's something of something. So think about the king of kings. Like, like the Lord is, is held up as the king of all kings. The king of kings, the Lord of lords. Like he is the Lord of all lords, the holy of holies. Like there is no holier place in the whole universe than that place, the holy of holies. And so when we get to this song, the writer, who, by the way, is inspired by God. So this is how God wants us to receive this book. He is saying that this song is the best of all songs. Now, just think about the other songs that we find in Scripture. Solomon himself writes some songs in the Psalms. And as he's writing those songs, writing those Psalms, he is lifting up the Lord. He's making much of God. He's saying, saying, look at who God is. Look at how holy he is. Look at how majestic he is. All of the Psalms are doing that. They're painting a picture of, of the greatness of God and showing us how wonderful God is. Think about the other songs that we know in Scripture. We saw Moses' song last year in the Exodus. Remember that? As they get, get through the Red Sea, then Moses looks back and he reflects on the strong arm of the Lord. How strong God is. How mighty he is. How he is a redeemer and a saviour. He is making much of the Lord. Think about Mary's song, the Magnificat. And she reflects on just the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ who has been gifted to her. Think about when we get to the end of Scripture and Revelation and we see that beautiful song, Holy, Holy, Holy. The Lord God Almighty. Think of the songs that we find in Scripture, and then this song claims to be better than them all. This song says it is the greatest of songs. And that gives us a clue about what this song is about or who it is about. If this song, folks, is just about human love, If this song is just about a man and a woman coming together and we can see their marriage and we can see the difficulties and we can see how they grow old together. If this is just about a man and woman coming together and yet it's the song of songs, like something's not right there. If a song just about a man and woman is better than the song where we sing God is holy, 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 something's gone wrong. No, no, no. Folks, this song, this song of songs is more than just about human marriage. It's more than just about human love. Ultimately, this song and all of the responses that it evokes within us, it is there like the best of songs to draw us in and to draw us up to Jesus. It's a song about Jesus. And yes, we see wisdom about human marriage and relationships in there. But ultimately, it is written to draw us in and draw us up to Jesus, to launch us into greater degrees of intimacy with Jesus. And folks, that is the same with every aspect of human desire. Every aspect of human desire that we feel is ultimately wanting us to to draw closer to Jesus because here's what we find. 
When we engage in those desires, whether it's a sexual desire, whether it's a desire for comfort, whether it's a desire for money, ultimately we hit a ceiling because they can never fulfill us. And that isn't, that isn't necessarily bad news because when we hit that ceiling, we realise we're made for more than this. And actually we draw near to Jesus and there is where we find true fulfilment. Listen to this by Gregory the Great. I quote, what a name, by the way. I'm sure that wasn't his actual name. I bet he gave him that, himself that name. I would, Neil the Great, if I was going to name myself. Gregory the Great says this. Our experience of earthly desire is designed to inflame our longing for God. That's good. Like as we engage in these unfulfilled desires that we have, either as, as we engage with the longings that we're going to see here in the song or just other longings that we have in the world, they are designed to make us love Jesus more. Just to stoke the flame of our desire for Jesus. That is the purpose of this song. And we're going to see the song uses a metaphor that we see all the way through the Bible that uses this metaphor of marriage. And it's using this metaphor as the rest of scripture does to show us our relationship with Jesus, to show the relationship between Christ and the church. As we see that metaphor unfold in scripture, we see that Christ is constantly the faithful husband. He sacrifices, he serves, he pursues, he loves perfectly. And as we walk through this metaphor, folks, it, it is as much about Christ and the church as in the whole body as it is about Christ and the church and you individually as you make up that body. And because that is true, because that is what we are being led to in this song, this song is relevant and applicable and important to us all. Please don't think if you're sitting there and you're thinking, I'm not married, I, I I'm not kind of on a trajectory to be married, this has, got, this has got no relevance for me at all, please don't think that, that's not the case. Because this song is about Christ and the church, and if you're part of that body, then this song is about you. So yes, it's, it's helpful and important and relevant for those who are desiring marriage. And it's helpful and important and rele- relevant for those who are just married and those who've been married for a long time. And those whose hormones are just beginning to fire off and those whose hormones are dampening down, whether you're married or single, this song is for you. Because it's a celebration of the greatest of relationships, that between Christ and the church. So can I encourage us all, as we engage with this each week, and we'll do this as we work through it and we preach it from the front. Take time to reflect. Hear what is, what is being spoken to from God's word here. Hear whoever's preaching. Hear what they're going to see. But just take time to reflect and, and ask yourselves these questions as you work through this song. What do I learn? What do I feel? And what do I hear about my King Jesus? In this song, what do I hear, feel and hear about my King Jesus in this song? Let's just start with these few verses and just the the moments that we've got left. Picking up in verse two, the woman says, let me kiss him. Let me kiss him with the kisses of his mouth. And most likely at this point, the woman is preparing for her wedding. And she wants us, as the song does, to be drawn into her experience. And she says of her husband, your love is better than wine. Now wine for them was was one of the most sweetest and, and maybe, depending on the wine, one of the most expensive and costly things that they could have. It was precious to them. 
And she says, your love is better than that. And she's drawing us in to see her desire for intimacy. And folks, we can come to the conclusion that that desire is good. Like throughout the song, we get this repeated refrain. It's one of the only things that's repeated. And it's this, do not stir up or do not awaken desire until it pleases. And it's a warning. Okay, it's good to have desires, but it's not good always to to run into those desires and to act on them immediately. Like there is a time and a context and people that it is right to engage those desires, particularly those physical desires with. There are boundaries to our desires. The rest of scripture gives us plenty of desires. Like with sexual intimacy, we see that the Bible speaks clearly that is exclusively exclusively between one man, one woman in the context of a loving marriage. There are boundaries. We see that there are some desires that are to be resisted, are to be rejected. (coughs) And that's because our desires are disordered and they're broken. But at its root, the desire for intimacy is a God-given gift. It's good. We hear her say, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Your love is better than mine. And the next line isn't a rebuke from God. It isn't God saying, whoa, hold, down, hold, hold on, young lady. Like, just slow down a little bit. Just park those desires for a little bit. There's no condemnation for her desire for intimacy. This is a celebration. And I want us just to stop for a moment. And as we hear those words, hear those words from the woman as she's thinking of her husband-to-be, as we see this celebration of her desire for intimacy with him, just stop for a moment and let those words hit you. Like, let them just hit you for a moment. And let's just take a moment to engage with the response that we're feeling. If you're married, maybe as you hear just that, that desire for intimacy from the woman, Maybe this is a nudge to, to show you that physical intimacy might have grown cold in your marriage. That you as a husband and wife have become more like housemates or business partners. And actually you're just getting stuff done in the house. And actually this beautiful physical intimacy that you've been invited into with your husband, with your wife is just not a priority anymore. Maybe this is a nudge for you guys to take some time to talk together this week. Just to put it on the table and just have a conversation. To pray with each other. If you're not married, maybe as you hear this outpouring of intimacy and passion, maybe, it, maybe for you it rises up feelings of hurt or disappointment or frustration or anger, or pain that you long for this type of intimacy and you don't have it. Or you once had it and it's been taken away from you. Whatever you're feeling as you, as you hear the truth of God's word and are confronted with this intimacy, bring it to Jesus. Don't think that desire is bad or ungodly. At its root, it is good and godly. And this is something that God celebrates. But bring your pain to Jesus. Verse three, she carries on. Your anointing oil is a fragrance. Your name is oil poured out. There's something about fragrances 
that is powerful and evocative, isn't there? Like particularly strong fragrances. There is a particular smell, and I don't know what it is, but particularly when I'm around older ladies, more mature ladies, I pick up a whiff of this smell and it transports me back to primary school. It's exactly the same perfume that Mrs. Goodwin would wear. And whenever I smell it, I can, honestly, I'm sat with James Dodd sat next to me. And I can remember the pictures that are on the wall and I can remember the lessons that she's, there's something really powerful and evocative and something that transports us with, with fragrances. Fragrance is powerful and the bride is telling her husband-to-be, you smell good. Like he's desiring to all of her senses. And listen, there's some helpful wisdom here, just like human wisdom. Like if you're married or if you're preparing to, to be married, like take care of yourself. Like shower, buy some fragrance, whatever it is. Like, like care for your personal hygiene, genuinely. Not just for you, but for your spouse as well. But that's not really... Folks, that isn't really where the weight of this verse is landing. She is painting a picture here. Your name, she says, is oil poured out. Now in her day, a man's name was a reflection of his person. It was telling us something about his character. And she is saying, she is saying, your character, oh, it is sweet. And it is lovely. And it just evokes all of this pleasure within me. When I think about who you are. Now again, just some wisdom here. If you're not married yet, physical attraction is important. But so is good character. Like don't marry someone if you're not physically attracted to them. But, but, but certainly don't marry someone if you're physically attracted to them but, and they've got bad character. Like both are important. Pursue both. It's good to be physically attracted to someone, but, but make sure that you're marrying a man or marrying a woman who prioritizes their character, someone who, who reflects Jesus in their character. Verse four, she continues, draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. Like she is longing for him, isn't she? And she wants, she wants her man to pursue her. She wants him and she sees him as a king. Now we'll see as we get on in the song, he isn't a king. Actually, he's a shepherd. You couldn't get, get kind of further from each other. A shepherd boy and a king, apart from David, they, they weren't really kind of roles that went together. But she sees her husband and she values him and she honors him and, and she places him on a pedestal. And she says, you're my, you're my king. It's a metaphor that she's using. But what she's shown us is this. My man, he's perfect. There is no one like him. I want him. And so let's just pause again and stop and reflect. As we're drawn into this song and we're confronted with this idealized desire for intimacy, what is it provoking in you? Or is it provoking in you as you see this ideal husband being presented? And this ideal level of intimacy and passion from the wife towards the husband. What, what is that bringing up within you? Well, I, I would guess you're either frustrated that you don't have this intimacy. And I'm not just talking about folks who aren't married. I'm talking about within marriages. Frustrated that you don't have this level of intimacy, this type of intimacy. Or maybe you're guilty feeling guilty that you've pursued that type of intimacy in the wrong place. 
Either way, folks, wherever we land, this passage confronts us with unfulfilled desires. Unfulfilled desires for intimacy. And it's right in that place, right in that place of thinking, I'd love that and I haven't got it. I long for that type of love and that type of closeness and that type of perfect relationship. It is right in that unfulfilled desire that the Lord Jesus Christ wants to step in and meet you and take you by the hand and say, here I am. See, even in the best marriages in this room, folks, we find that kind of frustration. The best marriages in this room do not measure up to this ideal type of marriage here and they weren't designed to they weren't designed to it's right that we long for human intimacy but that desire is always intended to draw us upwards to Jesus Jesus wants to meet us in that place of unfulfilled desire and he wants to fulfill those desires for us like the woman as she describes her husband she sees a man who is beautiful who has fragrant character and a name that is above every other name. She, she sees her husband as this king. Well, just think about how that, how that shines the light on Jesus. The one who is beautiful, who has fragrant character and a name that is above all names. Think about the beauty of Jesus. Like think about how the psalm that we started with, Psalm 27, describes just David's longing to be confronted with the beauty of Jesus. To gaze on the beauty of Jesus. Now we know what that means if we allow scripture to interpret scripture. It's not telling us that he was this kind of stunning looking guy. Isaiah 53 tells us that he had no beauty that we should desire. But yet he is beautiful. So what does David mean? Well, well he has a beauty that goes deep into who he is to his people. It is a spiritual beauty. Lord Jesus Christ lived a righteous life, completely righteous, absolutely holy, absolutely pure. There has never been a human like him. He is beautiful and his character is fragrant. In fact, it is more fragrant, more pleasing, more satisfying, more powerful than any other. Ralph Robinson, throw this quote up here. He's a Puritan from the 18th century. By the way, like, if we're, like, struggling with this and we're thinking, whoa, this is a little bit, like, the, the, the language here is a bit intimate and a little bit, like, oh, I'm not sure whether this floats with my theology. The Puritans love this book. Like, almost more than any other book in the Bible, they wrote commentaries and they preached and they talked and they meditated on the Song of Songs. They found in the Song of Songs a depth of intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ that they just couldn't find in the rest of Scripture. So we're in good company here. And here's one of them. Ralph Robinson says this, says this, if there is one drop of Christ poured upon the soul, the whole soul is perfumed with the smell of it. He's talking about the powerful fragrance of the Lord Jesus Christ. A fragrance in his life. Psalm 45 verse 8 talks about the Lord being clothed in this, just, this, this beautiful fragrance. And it's talking about his perfect life. His perfect life is just that, that, that pleasing, satisfying, powerful fragrance. And then we see in Ephesians 5 verse 2, the fragrance in his death. Paul talks about Jesus' body being offered up to God as a fragrant offering. There is something pleasing, satisfying and powerful to God in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The father looked on Jesus as he hung on the cross and it was satisfying to him and it was pleasing to him because it reconciled his people to himself. There is a fragrance, a powerful, satisfying fragrance in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and in his death. His beauty is there, his character is there and what about his name? Well, his is the name that is above every other name. He is the king. Like she sees her husband to be as a king. No, the Lord of Lords is also the king of kings. He died a cruel death on the cross, but he conquered that death in his resurrection. And Philippians 2 verse 9 to 11 tells us this. Through his death and his resurrection, God has now highly exalted Jesus. And what has he given him? A name that is above every other name. So that the name of Jesus, at his name, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. His name is the name that is above every name. His character is more fragrant than any other. And his is a beauty that we can be drawn to. Perfect beauty. Folks, this song is ultimately about our relationship with Jesus. And that sense of longing, that sense of, of unfulfillment that we feel, that every human feels it is there to draw us to him. It's there to draw us to Jesus. He wants you to receive and experience the deep intimacy of his love because it is the only intimacy that will satisfy us. And he has done all that is needed through his life, death and resurrection to make that possible at the end of verse four you get the others the others are these friends who pop up every now and again in the song and they have some helpful things to say we're going to see they have some not so helpful things to say as we work through but at this point they're on good form and they're looking at the husband and they say this we will exalt and rejoice in you we will extol your love more than wine rightly do they love you Friends look on at the beauty and the character and the name of this man and they see that his love is better than wine. Now just for a moment, just think about the best thing that you've experienced. The best thing that you've experienced in life so far, it might be, it might be a relationship. It might be a particular day out that you've had that's just so memorable and you just look back with such fondness. Maybe it's a meal particular meal that you've really enjoyed and like nothing it's the meal of meals nothing has topped it maybe it was a special walk a hike watching some sporting event whatever it is it was probably great but just like the friends here we can say none of those experiences compare to the love of our king jesus none of them so this week as we are confronted with those feelings of unfulfillment, which we will be. Like the bride in the song, we can unashamedly ask for more, for more of Jesus. We can ask for more of him. We can ask him to meet us in that unfulfillment and for us to know his love. We get an opportunity to do that now, folks. We're going to sing together and as we sing uh, this song it, it is a confession 
It's written as a bit of a confession of our need for Jesus. It's also a, a moment for us to recognise the, the, the times and the, the ways in which we've, we've looked out in the world for sinful counterfeits to God's love. And we've rejected the love of Christ. But also in those moments, he lovingly pursues us with his grace. We get to sing this song just recognising his love for us and his grace when we push away his love. And folks, as we sing this song, know that Jesus, Jesus wants you to know that he is the only one who truly satisfies. He wants us to know his love. And so even as we sing this song, bring your unfulfilled desires to him. Bring your broken desires to him and boldly ask for more of him, more of his love. After we've uh, sung this song, I'm going to break bread and uh, give thanks uh, for the cup. And if you're a Christian, if Jesus is your, your Lord, your God and your King, if you've confessed uh, and put your faith in him for salvation for your sins, then, then this meal is open for you. And I'd encourage you, um, after this song, once I've given thanks for the bread, for the juice, I'd encourage you to come up and take the meal. And as you eat and drink the bread and take the juice, uh, just take a moment as we're singing to remember, remember the love that Christ has shown you. To remember that you've been shown love like no other. And to ask. We come to this table to remember, but we also come to ask. Ask that you would know that love even more deeply this week. So we'll sing, folks. I'll give thanks for the meal. And then I'll invite you to come up. But before we sing together, let me pray. And then the guys will lead us in song. Father, we, we recognise that we are a broken people. And we have a broken and distorted and, and unfulfilled desires. But, but you've made us to recognise those things in order for us to see that, that we find our fulfilment not in the things of this world, but in Jesus. We thank you that you've made a way for us to be fulfilled. You've made a way for us to be satisfied in Jesus. We, we see and we gladly confess that that comes only through you. You are our perfect king. We thank you that you've made a way for us to know you and to receive the intimate love that we all long for. And so help us, help us this week to ask for more, to see our desires for what they are, roads that lead to more and more intimacy with you. And so we, we ask for you now by your spirit, as we sing together, as we share this meal together, we ask that you would make, make your love tangibly known to us. Just flood our hearts with remembrance of the love that you've shown us and the love that you have for us now and draw close to us by your spirit, we pray. For our good, for your glory.